Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Verse 2, we just sang, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Can you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. This is what we're going to look at to see the glory of what's revealed in the scriptures and highlighted in this hymn that we just sang that Christ is incarnate deity. As you're finding your place in Philippians chapter 2, can you please stand with me as we read God's word together? Philippians chapter 2 comes right after Ephesians and right before Colossians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And we'll start in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Would you pray with me? Our God, this is a great passage. You are a great God, and here we see something of who you are. Lord Jesus, is something that you, being in the form of God, became by your own will in the form of man, that you might be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this, all out of love, for our sake that we who were far off might be brought near, that God and sinners in you might be reconciled. Lord, open to us the glory of your incarnation, Jesus Christ, and the wonder of what we celebrate at Christmas during this season. Open your word before us and speak to us. Amen. You may take a seat. In the Christmas season, we explore the wonder of Many things, and in particular, it's repeated over and over again, the the wonder of the incarnation. The incarnation is highlighted in the the hymn that we just sang, and it's simply this, it's God becoming man. It's deity taking on human flesh. That's the incarnation. And uh, what I want you to see this morning out of Philippians chapter 2 is why the incarnation. Why did God become man? And uh, I want you to see in particular, because it's what Paul would have us to see, and therefore what God would have us to see in this passage, is that Jesus, though God, became man out of selfless love. We see in this God's love, in particular Christ's selfless love for us, revealed in his incarnation for our sake. 
Now, to give you some context, Paul's particular aim in this passage is actually to give an example of what true humility, what true selfless love looks like. He says, if you look back into uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. In verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's the basis for what he's going to say. Therefore, since this is my requirement, my call of you, the Philippians, I'm going to put forward an example, and that example is Christ Jesus. And that's what we see in verses 6 through 8. This is the example of selfless love that is given to us, selfless love incarnate in Jesus Christ. Now, although that's Paul's primary aim, we also see uh, a richness of theology. This is a wonderful passage to explore the depths of what it means that Jesus would become a man. And in it, we're actually supposed to see the mind of Christ. We're supposed to see what's the motivation in Christ to accomplish what he did. So, what I want you to see, because God wants us to see in this passage, is that Jesus loved us by his incarnation. Jesus loved us. And... I want you to see four different ways that Jesus showed his love for us in becoming a man. So the first thing, Jesus loved us by refusing his divine privileges. And that's seen in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Who, that's Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We'll pick this, this, this apart. First, Jesus has always been God. Though he was in the form of God, though he was, that, that reminds us of, of John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus became a man, but Jesus never became God. Jesus is God, eternally so. Paul assumes here, and he doesn't make an argument for Christ's divinity, he just assumes that you understand that Christ is God. And he bases his argument on that, uh, that you know that Christ is God. He is the pre-existent one. He didn't come into existence. He always existed. Everything was created through Jesus Christ. So Jesus has already, always been God. He was God at the beginning of, of, of verse 6. That's where Paul starts. Now, Jesus being God, he then continues on. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You can understand equality in, in, in a similar way. Equality being he is God. He is equal with God. He is equal with the Father and the Spirit. Now, he didn't account this equality with God, this oneness with God, something to be grasped. Now, this has been something of, uh, of great contention and debate. What does it mean that he, he didn't count it something to be grasped? And if you have a different translation, you, you might see uh, it translated a little bit differently. 
Uh, I think it's translated differently in, uh, in the King James, maybe. Uh, but he didn't count this equality with God something to be grasped, I think is best understood in light of what's going to come next in the passage. So we find out later that Jesus takes on the form of a servant. And Paul, if you can follow this, he starts this section by saying, you be servant-like, you be selfless in love. And in the middle, he connects the two by saying, Jesus didn't account equality with God something to be grasped. I think it's best understood as he didn't count his equality with God, his divine privileges, as something to be used for his own benefit. And this is something that uh, I think goes beyond what we can quite understand. That Jesus, being very God, a very God, as one of the creeds says, he chose that he would not use his equality with God as something to glorify himself. This is really hard to understand because Jesus Christ is the one who, with the whole Godhead, deserves all glory, all worship, all honor forever and ever. But yet, he chose to not use that as something to glorify himself in this moment but rather to serve in selfless love. I admit that that goes a little bit against sometimes my own limited understanding of what Christ's incarnation meant. Now, we get a little bit of a glimpse just to to illustrate for you what this looks like, that Jesus Christ laid aside his divine privileges out of love for us You'll remember these words in his high priestly prayer shortly before his death. Jesus prayed this to the Father. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus Christ enjoyed with the Father the glory that the whole God had enjoyed before the foundation of the world. But he laid that aside for a time out of selfless love for those for whom he'd come. Now, why did he do this? He did it out of love. Here, Jesus is put forward as the epitome of selfless love. This is the wonder of the incarnation. And this continues in verse 7. We see the second way that Jesus loved us, and that's by embracing human servanthood. Look at verse 7. Rather than counting equality with God something to be grasped, He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant in being born in the likeness of men. Now, if you understand that there is a God and that he is the one and only the unique, you do well. But how can you understand that God, the creator, would become a servant? Uh, if you've been listening to one of the songs that we've been singing recently, Sing Me the Song of Emmanuel, it has a lyric that says this. I wonder if, if you felt the weight of it. It says, The maker of Mary, now Mary's son. The one who created humans to serve him came to serve his creatures out of love. And he did this 
by emptying himself. That's what it says in the beginning of verse 7. Jesus emptied himself. In the King James, it says he made himself of no reputation. Or in the, uh, the, the NIV, he made himself nothing. Uh, he emptied himself, I think this is best again understood in light of the whole context, and that is he poured himself out. We'll find out that he gave himself and he gave himself and he gave himself to the point of death, death on a cross. He poured himself out. He didn't pour out his divine nature because his divine nature is essential to who he is. He is God. He can't relieve himself of being God nor would he. He is God forever and ever, but Jesus Christ poured himself out. He was the pouring out for our sake. That's his emptying out, but it doesn't matter so much uh, picking apart what it means there and emptying out because Paul fleshes out what this means. He says he emptied himself, in verse 7, by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. This is what it means for Christ to empty himself. He was born as a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. Now this is a perfect uh, obedience of the command that Christ, that, that that Paul gives to the Philippians at the beginning of this passage. He says, Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in love consider others as more significant than yourselves. Christ did this. He's showing Christ as an example of fulfilling this servant, selfless love that he commanded of the Philippians. Jesus Christ exchanged the glory, the robes of majesty that were his, He took on the apron of a servant, of a slave, for his own people. Now, we as human beings have the worst position of all, worse in many ways than any other part of God's creation, for we alone bear the... uh, condemnation that our sins deserve. We alone as God's creatures have rejected our creator. We've strayed far from our creator. We've sinned and we have sin in our natures. And because of this, we deserve condemnation. Unlike the rest of God's creation. Now, in contrast, Jesus Christ has the greatest position. He is one with the Father and with the Spirit. He is the, the preeminent one. He is the preexistent one. And yet he took what? He took our place. He took our place as the lowest of the low. He became a servant. The God, Jesus Christ, became a human servant. Now, more than a servant, Jesus also became a human At the end of verse 7, we see he emptied himself. What does this also look like? By being born in the likeness of men. Now what this means is that Jesus Christ was 
fully human. Even as Jesus was in the form of God, that is, he was equal with God, he was in the form of a human. So Jesus Christ, if you looked at him, he had the likeness of men because he was a man. You wouldn't confuse who Jesus was by looking at him. He was in the likeness of men. This is selfless love. But this is only just the start of Christ's servant love that he expressed to us, his creation. For the third way that Jesus loved us is that he was obedient to God's will to the point of death. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I think we have to note that it says he humbled himself. I think it's easy for a lot of us to understand and to think of Christ's incarnation as his fulfilling the will of the Father, but here it says that he humbled himself. It highlights his willingness to do what he would do. Now, do, do you choose to be humiliated? Do you choose to be humble? Do you choose to be despised? These things happen to us, but we don't choose them for ourselves. The great difference between us and Christ is that every humiliation that Christ endured was something that he chose. And in this case, he chose his humiliation, his humbling, for our sake, out of love for us. And we find that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Now, what was Jesus obedient to? It doesn't, doesn't say in the text here, but I think it's best understood this way. Listen to uh, the words that Peter spoke at this, the sermon at Pentecost. He spoke to the Jews about what had just happened in the death of Jesus Christ. And he said, This Jesus, whom uh, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. Now, they didn't understand the fullness of that. They didn't understand that Jesus had been delivered up according to the plan of God. They understood that Jesus had been delivered up according to their own plan. But Jesus was delivered up more than that by the plan of God. Jesus' incarnation, culminating in his death and resurrection, was the doing of God more than it was the doing of man. This recalls for us, I think, the, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Remember the servant that he was rejected by men, he was wounded by men, he was pierced by men, he was crushed, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter by men. But what do we hear? He was crushed by the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Jesus was obedient to God's will. So it was his own will that he go to death. 
but it was also the will of the Father, the will of the entire Godhead, and they were all in unity, in the will to die. So we began with Christ's full equality with God, and now we've come all the way to his death for creatures. And Isaiah 53, 12 agrees with this statement that God's servant poured out his soul to death. So just to review, Jesus, as God, emptied himself by becoming a human servant. And likewise, Jesus, as a man, humbled himself by becoming a crucified Savior. So why the divine will for Jesus to die? Why the humiliation? Why the incarnation? It was out of a great love, a selfless love that the Creator had for His creatures. And this brings us to the fourth way that Jesus loved us. Jesus loved us by dying for our sins. Look at the end of verse 8. He died the death on a cross. This phrase is an astounding conclusion to where we started. We started with Jesus is equal with God. He is in the form of God. And now we found that Jesus has died. And more than that, Jesus has died by the execution of crucifixion, the execution that belongs to a criminal. What you have to understand is that for Christ to be crucified means that he died the most degrading death that a man could die. It was the ultimate indignity. It was painful, and it was humiliating in every way. Jesus was scourged. He was made to carry his cross, and when he got to the place where he would be crucified, he was nailed with spikes sent through the nervous parts of his feet and his hands, and he was hung there on the cross, exacting every breath by all of the strength that was left in him. And more than that, it was the scorn of it. He was hung beside a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right, they deserving to die, he being the one who was dying for the sake of his creatures. It was a scandalous death. You can be sure that none of the Philippians were wearing gold crosses. They understood that this was a death that no one wanted to die, let alone a death that would be deserving of the Son of God. This is humiliation. And more than that, this is love. This is love of our blessed Jesus Christ. Only the purest love would move someone to this sort of death. What did he die for on the cross? It doesn't say in this passage, but we have to highlight Jesus died for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you've been healed. He died for our sins. Every sin we commit welcomes the wrath of God. 
and all of the sins that we've committed, for them, eternal hell is required for punishment. Eternal torment, eternal punishment, eternal wrath, eternal condemnation. But Jesus Christ, in the hours that he was on the cross, he bore the full weight of that wrath because he, though a man now, was the infinite, pre-existent God himself. The one who is the source of life, of infinite and immense value. He died so that we would not have to die. It's said that at the cross is where love and mercy meet. Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This is where Jesus clearly reveals the character of God, that God is love. So I ask, is this what Emmanuel means to you? That God is with us. I think when we understand the fullness of the incarnation, culminating in Christ's death, and then his resurrection, his ascension to glory, we understand more of what it means that God is with us. Not only being present with us, that Jesus Christ was present with his mother Mary at the nativity scene, that Jesus Christ is present with us at the cross. He's present with us in resurrection. He's present with us now. He's present with us forever. We are also with God. This is the wonder of the incarnation, that God became man so that we could be joined to his divine being. Now, I think what goes beyond the, the magnitude of Christ's incarnation is this fact, that it was love that moved the everlasting Lord to the cross. The incarnation serves to show that Christ is God and it's to show that Christ shows something of God. It shows that God is love. And that in God being made with us, he did this to display his love for us. So this brings us full circle to um, heed the words of the hymn that we started with. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh the Godhead, that's the incarnation. And see, look, look to Christ. Look to Christ, the incarnate one, deity veiled in human flesh. And why? Why look at the incarnation? We talk about it a lot at Christmas. Why look at the incarnation? It's because at the incarnation we see the love of God. We see the love of a Savior who poured himself out to the point of death, even death on a cross, to reconcile God and sinners in himself on the cross. Look with wonder at the incarnation this Christmas season. Uh, two other points. For, for all of those who have already embraced this message, who are believers, Paul's words to us are to emulate Christ. 
You can think about that in particular in this Christmas season, going into the next year, thinking about the ways in which we'll pray for continued sanctification and personal holiness, that we would do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than ourselves, that we would act with selfless love in this community here at South Shore, and even on an individual level, that we would act with selfless love to each other. And then the application here as well for all of those who haven't embraced this message of the Incarnation, even though you might not understand it entirely, all the breadth of it, the call is to embrace this message that God is incarnate in Jesus Christ, that God became man and he did that to take on our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, that we might be reconciled to God. Embrace the message of the incarnation. What is the greatest expression of love? We see it here, and I'll just highlight one last way. Christ says in John 15, 13, these are Jesus' words, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. My friends, you are Christ's friends. You have been reconciled to God if you're in him. For Christ was born to die that by trusting in Christ you might live. The hymn says this, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Would you pray with me? Our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we marvel at your character. We marvel at your glory. The glory that you shared from all time past and even now and into all eternity. Lord Jesus Christ, we marvel that at a a time and in space, you set aside divine privileges that were yours and you did this to reconcile the very ones who nailed you to the tree. You did this to secure eternal redemption. You did this according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God in great obedience, pouring out yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh Lord, we, uh, we glorify you We ask that you would impress on our hearts the magnitude of your great love, your great love for us that moved you to set aside divine privileges and that you'd embrace human servanthood, that you'd be obedient to the will of God even to the point of death, that you would die on a cross for our sins. Oh Lord, what love is this? And the child born to Mary, Jesus Christ, the incarnate deity, hailed in flesh, the Godhead, see, we ask, Lord, that we would see the incarnate deity this Christmas. Amen.